Hello, and welcome to Group Chat, conversations on biblical community. Last month, we talked to Clayton Aker about spiritual disciplines and how to better lead yourself to be a follower of Jesus. Today, we're going to switch the script and talk about how you can better lead the people in your group to do the same. We're joined by the group life pastor of Rush Creek, Pastor Josh Rose. If you'd like to learn more about Rush Creek, please visit www.rushcreek.org. Okay, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us again on this month's episode of Group Chat. Uh, Last month, we talked with Clayton Aker about spiritual disciplines and how to better lead yourself. And today, we're going to flip the script a little bit and talk about how do you effectively lead the rest of your group. And I'm joined today by the group life pastor who oversees the entire small groups ministry of Rush Creek, Dr. Josh Rose. Uh, pastor Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Matt, thanks for having me on. So what we're doing today is talking about effective leadership. And we'll just kind of start out with kind of the general overview of when we when we tell our leaders that we want we want them to be effective, what are, what are we talking about? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question because typically I don't get asked this question by group leaders. We usually talk about it at cohorts where other small group pastors are meeting and you know having lunch and talking about how they can better themselves and what does a win look like. And so in effect, as small group leaders, it's, it's a great idea to talk about, but don't get asked about it a lot. So, But if you're asking me now, uh, what does an effective small group leader look like? You know, I think some characteristics are that they're a people builder. You know, someone who uh, cares about the building up of others. Like, they, they get really excited about investing in the people that God has placed in their life. Also, someone who's willing to walk in the gray. You know, there are a lot of gray areas in our life where, you know, right and wrong don't necessarily seem to be you know, evident. Like, I'm not really sure what to do. And someone who's a great small group leader, an effective small group leader, is someone who's willing to walk with them. Saying, you know, I'm not saying I know what to do, but I'm willing to walk with you until we figure this thing out. Uh, I think another characteristic is someone who is willing to engage the mess of life. And, uh, man, the mess of life can be radioactive for some people. They run away. In fact, sociologists have done uh, research on this, and they have found that Typically, when people experience crisis in their life, they push people away and say, when that's over, I will re-engage community. When the data is telling us that the best thing for our souls is for us to engage community during this crisis because it's through the relationships. You know, Christians, we know this, that we're wired for a relationship. So it's in through the engaging of relationship that God is able to bring healing and resolution to whatever crisis, either good or uh, maybe not what we want. And then lastly, another characteristic I think is uh, someone who believes prayer is more important than life experience. Oh my goodness. There are so many folks who the armchair quarterbacking that they can do for a group member, especially men, I mean, we are terrible at this. You know, what you should do is, or let me tell you how I handled that. And that has its place, but an effective leader is someone who, who says, you know, there's a lot of options out on the table, but... What does God say about this? Let's go to his word and then pray about that. So I think those are some characteristics. There are obviously a lot more, but off the top of my head, I think that's what, what I'd say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then we'll, we'll kind of contrast that with what an ineffective leader would look like. Kind of what, what kind of makes up a leader that's ineffective? 
There's a lot of ways that I would attempt to, to answer that, but one thing that comes to mind is motivation. Someone who doesn't have motivation for their being in ministry, small group ministry. Um, an ineffective leader, you know, if you lack motivation, then you really can go through the motions and can get the job of a small group leader done, but fellowship doesn't happen that way. People want to know you believe in what you're saying. People want to know that you are authentic. You are the real deal. You're willing to give your life to this. Here's the way I think about it. What we're looking for in effective group leaders is someone who has been bitten by the bug of community, right? It's contagious. They've been bitten and there's no going back. Someone who's passionate about saving the person who, quite frankly, the roof of their life has caved in. You know, Bill Hybels, he's the former pastor of Willow Creek. He once spoke on motivation to join a small group. And he tells the story of uh, a couple who came to his office looking for counsel. And uh, so he went through the meeting and they went to his associate pastor's office. And he tells the story that he was yelling at his associate pastor and then had to repent and ask for forgiveness for yelling. And he said, I wasn't yelling at my associate pastor because I was angry at him. I was yelling out of pure frustration. Here we have this couple who's coming to ask for counsel. And as a pastor, you know, we as pastors get asked about career decisions, uh, life, you know, situation decisions, child raising decisions, family starting decisions, job decisions, athletic decisions, spiritual decisions, all sorts of these decisions. Here's what Bill said. I have no idea who these people are. I don't know their bents, their failures, their blind spots. Um, I don't know what keeps them up at night. I don't know what fires them up to go attack the day. So I say to them, do you have you know, a small cadre of friends, a band of brothers maybe who can serve you better than I could in this, in this particular issue? And they looked at him and they said, no, don't have anyone like that in my life. And you know, he said, I just wanted to go around the table and put my arm around them and say, look, this aloneness that you're feeling is what God was trying to spare you from when he, when he pioneered this concept of small group community. The isolation that you're feeling right now in your greatest time of need is what God wanted to spare you from when he started small group community. So now here we are, you're in this situation and you're out at sea, you're lost there is no one coming. There's no help in sight. And all is falling in on you. And you have nobody. So what I'm getting to is an effective small group leader is moved by that story. And is moved to give their life to this movement that God placed in the heart of man when he created us. That we were created for community. So now I'm, I'm preaching that. So I'll stop. But um, that's what we're looking for. People who are motivated by that kind of stuff. I've got some questions here that we'll go through just kind of these are questions that I've asked as a small group leader myself, and these are questions that I'm sure other leaders are asking. So we'll go through these, and I'm, I'm hoping they'll find them helpful. Um, so a lot of small group leaders, um, they'll ask, well, I don't feel ready to lead a small group, or I don't feel equipped to lead a small group because of X, Y, or Z, or whatever reason or whatever area they don't feel equipped in. Um, so how would you um, advise a small group leader who doesn't feel equipped um, to lead a small group or equipped in a specific area of what we're asking them to do? Um, 
how would you advise that person if they don't feel prepared to do that? Yeah, I mean, we get that concern brought to us quite a bit. And, uh, you know, one thing we can do is encourage them with Scripture, right? There are a number of Bible characters who they can probably relate to, Gideon being one. Of course, Moses had his time. Um, and there, there are others who just said, God, what are you talking about? I don't have what it takes. I don't measure up. I can't get the job done. I don't know what to do. And uh, so they can get encouragement from that. But, you know, I think a very important thing to keep in mind is if this is you, if you're listening and this is you, is to ask questions of your group's pastor. What is it exactly you're asking of me? Because, you know, areas of um, inadequacy, you know, I feel I'm unequipped in this area. They're, they're different for every person. You know, here I am, the group life pastor. I'm responsible for everything that has to do with adults and discipleship at Rush Creek. And there are areas where I have to go to my boss, our executive pastor, and say, help. I mean, I, I need some guidance here. So no one is immune to this. But I think a good starting place is to ask questions. You know, get crystal clarity on what it is they're asking you to do. And then if we move on, okay, now we've got crystal clarity. Let's say you have crystal clarity and there are still things that, I just don't know how to do that. Uh, so I liken it to an athlete, you know, specifically track. You know, um, you have your events. You have your things you're really good at. And so a piece of advice is if there's an issue that you feel or an area you feel unequipped in, um, stay in the lane that you feel equipped in, right? If you're being asked to, you know, share your testimony and you are absolutely scared or ill-equipped to, to share your testimony because you just don't know where to start, you've never had to do this before, this is new, and if that's you, then there are a lot of people who have that fear and uh, feeling of unequipped, being unequipped. So stay in your lane. What are you good at? So if you're leading a small group, maybe we don't share your testimony this semester. Maybe you can focus on the things you're good at this semester. But next semester, let's make a plan to share your story. So stay in your lane with the things that you're good at but then train for the other events, right? Train for the other events. So while you're staying in your lane, you're working on, okay, I've identified an area where I need to grow. I'm going to take, you know, however long it takes to, to, to grow in that area. And in the meantime, how do I handle it? I can't just be neglectful of that area. At Rush Creek, we provided your, you as a coach. Every small group leader has a coach. And if you're listening to this and you say that I'm too good for a coach, I've been doing this so long, the coach can provide nothing of value to me, I will only remind you that Michael Jordan had a coach. LeBron James has a coach. Tiger Woods has a coach. It doesn't matter how great you are until you arise to the level of Jesus and your skills as a small group leader, you need a coach. You're not omniscient. You need a coach. And so you ask your coach for help in the areas that you feel ill-equipped, and then you work on it. And then another thing I would say if you feel unequipped, in all things, love your people through the mess, right? Because this, this area that you may be ill-equipped could be um, you don't know how to answer a question or there may be a crisis in your group that you're just not familiar with. And loving them through the mess is key. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people need you to just sit and cry with them or sit and be mad with them. Not mad at them, be mad with them. Uh, or sit and be confused. You know, you're not offering solutions. you just put your arm around them and accepting them who they are in that moment. When you show them that I care about you as an individual more than I care about this issue getting resolved, you build capital. You build trust. And it's something that 
last and stands the test of time. So there's a couple things. Yeah. Well, I know I know one area that people usually don't feel equipped in and even me as a as a young future pastor, I, I uh, still feel a little bit unprepared in this, is when um, some tor- some kind of tragedy hits your group or some kind of strain hits the group. Maybe there's um, group members butting heads or maybe you as the leader are butting heads with somebody in your group or um, somebody in your group has, you know, I dare say lost a child or has been diagnosed with cancer or something that you know, life just happens in the worst way. Um, and these leaders are caught in the middle of it now because they've just brought it to the group. Um, how does, how does a leader, uh, lead effectively then? I remember, I remember a story from my old Testament class and my professor told me that how many times he's seen seminary students, um, do so much damage in a counseling session because they had the right answer. Um, and it kind of speaks into what you just said is sometimes people just want, want you to be there with them. Um, and I remember that's something you've advised me and other people on, like during hospital visits or during counseling is sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit there and, and be there. Um, so how do you, how do you advise a leader to lead in a moment of crisis? Yeah, that's, that's huge. I mean, these, these are what I call train wreck scenarios, right? Um, I think that paints a really good picture of what we're talking about because you, know, you think of a train wreck, it is messy, it takes a long time to fix, and it's a crisis, right? There's a lot of things that are going on. Um, in fact, I'm, uh, I teach a course on small group ministry at Dallas Baptist University, and there is a, a, a session in there, session or two, where I take them through 19 train wreck scenarios in small group ministry, and then we walk through... You know, being the diagnostician, we want to we want to assess and prescribe. How do we fix this? And um, it's never easy. Every one of them, there's not a happy resolution, right? So, <clears throat> I think, you know, I'd say there are four things. So, if you're listening to this, you may want to write these down or go back to this bit later. The first one is you need to prepare your own heart because as the leader, you are bearing the spiritual authority, the spiritual weight. You're bearing this on your shoulders. God has placed you in this role on purpose, not by accident, not by apathy. You are leading this flock. And when the flock is sick, the shepherd is concerned. The shepherd is fretting. The shepherd is up at night thinking about it. Sometimes the shepherd's up at night sitting with the sheep that's sick or the two sheep that are quarreling to make sure nothing happens overnight. It is exhausting emotionally. So I think one thing leaders need to make sure that they're prepared for is the emotional drain. Even though, you know, a common one that happens in adult ministry is marriage. There's an issue in the marriage. It could be a communication issue. It could be an intimacy issue. It could be a just kind of a, a life planning issue. It just really doesn't matter. Just any type of marital issue is delicate because we live in America. And America is this culture of stay out of my business, okay? The most dangerous weapon in America, to me, is not a gun, but a garage door opener. Because that is the key, man. You just have that, you just click that garage door opener, and the garage door goes down, and the whole world is shut out to what's going on in your world, really. But I digress. Anyways, so uh, the, the, the toll it takes for marriage issues are so tough. And it's an emotional strain, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is name reality. 
and then paint a picture for a way back. So, Clint, you mentioned, you mentioned um, just this not knowing what to do kind of vibe with these scenarios, and oh my gosh, is that true or what? And so I found the best thing to do is, if you're in a group setting, first of all, you got to lead. So, you know, guys, this is awkward. This is, is anyone else feeling this tension? Is anyone else feeling uncomfortable with this? That's, it's gutsy to say that out loud, but sometimes it's kind of the pin that pops the balloon of tension. Just pop that thing. And then once you say it out loud, it can kind of avalanche in a, in a good way of saying, you know what, I have, it does feel tense. Uh, it, there is a lot of tension here. It does feel like, like there's something going on, but I can't put my finger on it. And then you can kind of bring Christ into that situation. So well, let's pray. Let's bring him. Let's invite him and see what he has to say. And so that may mean that you need to go home for a week and read through the scriptures and everyone bring back what they feel God is kind of leading them to for the next week. So now we're getting into problem solving. But the point is that you should name reality. But then also paint a picture of a way back. So if it's a, if it's a quarrel between a couple of different uh, group members, uh, you're going to want to... <laughs> You're going to want to address the quarrel, but you're also going to want to let them know, well, that's too abstract. So very quickly, a specific instance is when someone betrays confidence. So at Rush Creek, we have the Vegas principle. What's said in group stays in group. Nothing leaves the group, right? Unless you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt somebody. We're going to tell the police. So in those situations, when a betrayal of trust has occurred, it really depends on the type of betrayal it is. If it's just, hey, I lost 50 bucks in my fantasy football league, and someone tells that you know you were in fantasy football gambling, that's betrayal of trust, of course. Um, but is it the level that's going to fracture community? I don't know. That's dependent on the person. For me, that would not be something. It's a bunch of guys. You can just kind of get over it. But let's say you are struggling with, you know, if it's a, if it's a couple of guys, since we're men. Uh, let's say you're struggling with a lady at the office and you're flirting and you're just, you want to stop it, but you're not sure. And then that guy tells, that guy tells his wife who tells your wife. That might be a betrayal that fractures community. You have fractured it. And so you have, as a leader, got to paint a picture of how you can restore community if possible. Next thing would be, you need to determine if things need to be handled privately. Sometimes it's best to not just handle it like a cattle call, just stand up in group and say, all right, here's what needs to happen. Well, it may be too sensitive. So like that issue where the two guys, you know, that betrayal about you know, flirting with the girl in the office, that would be a private issue. You wouldn't want to bring that up with everyone else. You'd want to handle that with just the three of you, you and the two guys in the room saying, all right, look, here's, here's what I've seen, here's what I've heard. I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to air out your differences and then talk about a path forward if possible. So you just got to ask yourself, do, does, do things need to be handled privately? And lastly, close the group to outsiders. Now, I emphasize that because so many groups don't do that. They just have this, this conflict that is just kind of walking through the group, through the months, and people are kind of brought into the group, and they notice this conflict, and they're like, well, this is kind of a strange vibe. What's going on? Close the group. It may only need to be closed for a couple of weeks, right? But close it so that you can deal with what needs to be dealt with, move forward, and then bring it back. So those are four things that I think leaders can keep in mind when trying to deal with strain. I know that sounded a lot, but there are a lot of different scenarios that would require a lot of different responses. And then in all things, 
that kind of floats above these four is talk to your coach. Do not dare try to handle these things by yourself. You can, obviously, you can, but that's unwise. Bring your coach in. Two heads are better than one. Yeah, yeah. To to kind of press on the, the closing the group bit of advice, I know at Rush Creek one of the um, identities that we have is a missionary for our group leaders and for our for all of our, our members at, at Rush Creek. Um, so we want to be missionaries, but then there's this time where we need to close the group. So if something were to happen and we need to close our group for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, you know, how, what is the best way to communicate that to where we're not, to where it's understood that we're not going against one of our main missions of our group? Yeah. So, uh, in our leader orientation base camp, which those listening should have been through this, unless you're from a different church, then, um, then you haven't, but we let them know that the reasons you are allowed to close your group off to outsiders because we have this missionary as an identity. Uh, one is crisis, right? If there's a cancer diagnosis, then it's a bad prognosis. Um, if there's just outright conflict and their groups in crisis, everything is kind of haywire at the moment. That was That's an appropriate and acceptable reason to close your group. And then the other is the type of study you're doing. I was in a, I was in a group, uh, this was probably 10 years ago, um, our group, we wanted to do marital intimacy. And I smile when I'm talking about this because um, there were some in the group who were just really uncomfortable with it. I mean, sex uh, in marriage is probably one of the greatest things in life if you're a guy. And maybe if you're a girl, too. But it's, it's, it's so great. But people get married assuming they know how to do it um, in a way that's gratifying forever for, for both parties involved. And uh, this study was kind of addressing the, the five sex needs of men and women. LifeWay did it. It was very tasteful. These therapists, they were the ones who, who did it. It was very tasteful. It was not crass. It was not inappropriate. But anyways, the type of content that we were talking about every week, that we would watch the video where the therapist would kind of give us the, the data of what are the, the top five sex needs based off this research. And somebody's in the corner just sweating. They're, yeah, yeah. It was a lot like that. But then after the video, we kind of scurry off to the kitchen and the gals would scurry off to the back room or whatever and we'd have our discussion, but um, you don't need to have new blood coming into the group when you're doing something that sensitive. And there, of course, I mean, that's an extreme example, but if you think that the, the nature of the study is needing intense safety, um, then it's, it's good to not have people um, coming in and out of the group. And so if you do those two things, uh, crisis or the nature of the study, then you're required to tell your coach um, and then when people ask you, hey, can I come join your group or um, are you have any space for me? We, you know, hopefully they caught this in base camp, but we train them to to uh, reroute them to a coach or a group's pastor and don't say, oh, I'm sorry, we're full. You know, that's a really bad touch. You know, we want to try to provide the Disney experience or you know, kind of the Lexus environment for people finding a group. We care about you. Don't just say, no, nah, we're full. Let me try another. Go online and look. Don't do that. Don't do that. We can do better. I know that that's a question that came up in my mind, and I'm sure it came up in somebody else's while they were listening. So just wanted to hit on that really quick. Um, so moving on, though, um, another question a leader might have is their function outside of the normally scheduled group time. You know, our small groups aren't just weeknight Bible studies for a couple, for some people at the church. You know, these are groups that have committed to live their lives together in in all aspects. So how does the leader function 
other than just uh, facilitating discussion at a Bible study on Thursday nights. Man, this is such an important topic because the culture that we live in is one of busyness. And by the way, more badges on your arm, the busier you are. Um, We're just busy all the time. We're running all the time. And we tend to gravitate towards just doing the bare minimum to get things done. And uh, I think if, if there's a parent listening who has kids that are small and they have to get them ready for school or go to church or you know, a big event, they know what I'm talking about. Just the bare minimum to get them in the car and get, on, get there on time. That's kind of how people approach their life. What is the bare minimum, the path of least resistance I need to do? And so for group leaders, that is, you know, I need to make sure I'm prepared. Sometimes that's not very good, but I at least have questions to ask. Some, some groups use the church to give them the questions, which is completely appropriate. But that's it. You know, they, they lead a really good discussion, and they had really good small chit-chat and had cool, meaningful prayer requests, good praises, and then off we go on another rat race. And uh, that is an, a, a good definition of an ineffective group leader. Um, we are about creating these identities in our people, this identity of a disciple, this identity of... Um, a learner, a family, a missionary that make up this identity of a disciple. And so because of that, you want to you want to make sure that you have a good gauge on, are the people in your group really growing and being a learner at the feet of Jesus? Are they functioning in their life as a new family member in Christ? Are they being a missionary where they live, work, and play? If they are not, then we still have work to do as leaders. So, a good axiom to think about is being a leader is more than a meeting. Being a leader is more than a meeting. That's what it's got to feel. It's more than just Thursday nights. You know, you eat hopefully three times a day, seven days a week, which is 21 meals a week. So baby steps, you can think about it in a crawl, walk, run scenario. A crawl step could be, you know, out of the 21 times I had to eat this week, one of those times outside of group meeting is going to be with another human being in my group. Right? Someone else. I'm going to invite them to coffee, to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner, whatever. And you're now starting to practice a new rhythm where you're infusing people into your life. And if you can't do it, then there's technology. Maybe you have lunch at your desk every day and you can't leave. Well, put some earbuds in and FaceTime someone in your group while you have lunch together. At least you're having a sense of community and working on the relationships. Another one is speed of the leader, speed of the team. That is an axiom in a lot of different areas of life. Certainly not unique to the church, um, but it's true. If you, you know, model this and show them that, hey, this is important, and then not just model it and don't say anything, but listen, modeling and following up with people, letting them in on your strategy, kind of pulling the curtain back and saying, hey, Clayton, have you noticed that I call you every Wednesday at lunch? Have you noticed? Sometimes I leave a voicemail, sometimes we get to chat, maybe only five, ten minutes, but sometimes 45 minutes. Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, Josh, I have noticed that. Well, why do you think that is? I guess you just want to show care about me. No, I don't want to just show care about you. Yes, I care about you as a, as a man, but I'm trying to model the life that Christ has called us to. Do you think you could successfully go through your work day modeling the attributes of Christ, living out the abundant life? Do you think you could go through your, your nighttime routine with your family? Or through, since you're in school, through your classwork. 
better if you do it as an island, hoping you remember all the little nuggets of wisdom you learned from the sermon in small group? Or would you go through it more successfully if you had woven in your experience conversations with the guys in your group? And I think the answer is, you know, you'd probably do it better if you infuse people in your group. So speed of the leader, speed of the team. And I think those are a couple things to keep in mind. We could talk about this for a long time because it's a passion area of mine. Um, but man, we live in a culture that speaks against everything I'm talking about. You are an individual. You are the master of your own you know, universe. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you know, direction, not intention, determines your destination. So, I mean, that is true, but we have kind of mutated that into thinking, if I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Nothing's free in this world. All those out of one side of our mouth are true, but on the other side of our mouth are detrimental to our cause of living in Christ's community, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. Am I base there? No, I totally, I totally agree, and I've, I've seen that I've seen that here. And um, it's interesting what you said. I, I saw... Um, I saw it written somewhere, heard somebody say it sometimes, something along the lines of uh, children don't uh, listen to our words, they imitate our actions. And I don't think that applies to just children and parents. I think that applies to humans in general, imitating the people who they admire or who are put over them or um, for a small group leader, someone who's um, trying to give them an example. And the example that you give, they're going to imitate, whether that's an example of passion or an example of apathy. You know, I think I think both are entirely possible, and you probably see that in different groups, depending on who the leader is. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll uh, start to wrap it up here. So there's a leader, and he's, he's leading outside of his group time. He's trying to be that example. He's having dinner with his leaders. He's going out and hunting or fishing with his with uh some of his members or or what have you um he's led them through um some crises that have hit the group um he's diffused some tension he's helped mediate some conflict um and all of this is starting to weigh on him and he's starting to feel burnout and he doesn't know if he's cut out for this he doesn't know if he can he can do it anymore uh what do you say to that leader yeah burnout is a scary thing right um you know men and women neither are immune to this i can think of some ladies uh, you know in, in, my, in my past ministries who they could just bear incredible weights on their shoulders like they're able to handle a lot you know and i think our culture rewards that our culture um, if you say yes to a project at work they're going to give you more until you stop saying yes or until you drop the load completely so first is to realize that you're not alone, that everyone feels burnout at some point, you know, if they don't have good practices that Clayton talked about in the last podcast. Um, if they don't have that woven into their life, then they're going to be quick, reach it quicker than most others. But uh, if I'm thinking of you know, practical things that you should do, you could do a lot of things, but what you should do, first thing is you need to tell somebody. Again, I go back to the coach. We have assigned you a coach. These are people who care deeply about encouraging you in your walk as a group leader. So if you're listening to this and you ignore your coach, if they've reached out through email or phone or on Sunday morning, they've reached out to you and you have ignored them because you're busy or because you are doing great things and you just don't have time for them, there's no margin in your life, that's a problem. That's a problem. If Michael Jordan had not listened to Phil Jackson, 
I can't say that Michael Jordan will be the star he was today because he's the coach. He has great things to tell him, how to play his position better, how to, you know, and then also say, Michael, you've had enough. You need to take a rest. So sometimes those coaches can see things we can't see because they're looking at it from a different perspective. So you need to tell somebody. Tell your coach. Um, if you don't have a coach, then we got a bigger problem than that. Go find a group of pastor and tell them you don't have a coach. But you can also tell your group of pastor. Um, you need to tell someone who has the authority to do something about it. So telling your spouse or a family member or a close friend, of course, you, I mean, they should know if you've embedded them into your life. But tell somebody who has the authority to do something about it. Because here's the thing. They're looking at it from a different perspective, just like Phil Jackson looked at it from a different perspective than Michael, Je Michael Jordan. But sometimes that different perspective means everything. It could be that you're feeling burnt out and it's because you're looking at it the wrong way. You may be overthinking things. I can't tell you the number of times I've had leaders come to me and say, you know what, I just don't understand. I'm overwhelmed. I've got, you know, just got a promotion at work or my job has told me I now have to travel. I'm not sure that I'm doing a great job or that I can handle this. And so I'll be able to correct their vision and say, look at this properly. Do you realize that we can still fan the flame of your heart for community? You've still been bitten by the bug. None of that has changed. But it's just how you approach reaching the people in your group is going to have to change. You don't have to just drop everything and leave community, leave the way you were designed to live. You don't just you know, get up and leave. You can look at it differently. So I think telling somebody you could be overthinking it is, is huge. The last thing I'd say about it is evaluate, do an inventory of your life when you need to take a break. Sometimes you just weren't, it's a great way to say this, you don't have the legs to bear that kind of weight, right? Maybe you're still growing in Christ and your, leg, your muscles and your legs are still getting stronger and you're trying to take on weight that's too much for you right now. And you do need to take a break. When it's all said and done, when we go to our grave and Christ comes again, we know for a fact, Scripture reveals to us, that everything that we do that had eternal significance will be weighed. Right? And if it did not have eternal significance, it's going to burn away. And so <laughs> this stewardship of this little flock of people that God has entrusted to our leaders, Jesus will look at us in the eyeballs. In my mind's eye, I can see this scene, and it's a holy fear, a holy terror in my heart that I do this well. Because I don't want him to look at me and say, Josh, I gave you 10 people to shepherd in 2018. What did you do with those people? Did you love them well? Did you care for them deeply the way I would? Did you spur them on to lean into the life I've called them to? Did you lick their wounds with them? And then when it got too heavy, did you release them to someone else I've given them to? Or were you selfish and held on to them too long to where now everything fell apart? That scares me, man. And People don't normally think about it that way. They don't. That's true. They don't. But they should. Because that's really what's going to happen. And it's the best thing. The reason I think it, the reason I think I'm scared is because obviously I want to hear Jesus speak well on my life and what I've done for him. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that there are things that he is going to not see, right? Those are sinful things that have been covered by his blood, so are blind from him, but they're going to burn away. They will not be rewarded 
But these people, if I'm committed to be a people builder and I am neglecting them because there's so much going on in my life, that is neglect of the highest order. And I am scared to death of Jesus you know, looking at me saying, man, Josh, I had so much more for you. So it's sobering. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's definitely a challenge we should all take to heart. And uh, all of this is wisdom that you have bestowed upon us today. Um, I know I'll take it and put it in practice into my group, and I and I know that uh, everybody listening will as well. This has been very helpful. Um, is there is there any other um, just kind of parting words? Um, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about a bunch of different scenarios that people ask about. Just as they're going through, as they're going through their life, as they're going through their group, just how do, how do they stay effective? Not just be effective, but stay effective. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad we're ending on this because it's encouraging, right? It's it's practical also. So I have a couple things that I want to encourage the listeners to uh, to embrace. How do you stay effective? You know, it's it's like if you're not feeling effective as a small group leader, wanting to then be effective is similar to being at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and saying, "All right, I got to climb out of this thing. How's this going to work?" Like it's you know emotionally, psychologically, it can feel that way. So I think the first thing to keep in mind to stay effective as a small group leader is to remember, I know you've heard this because of Pastor Russ, uh, Pastor Marty, all of our communicators have said this from the stage, and that is leaders are learners. If you've been to a leader training, they've said this from the stage. Leaders are learners. I'm reminded of a story of the old professor who worked in the kitchen to help pay for his tuition on campus, and at night... He would walk home by his favorite professor's house. That was back in the days when professors lived on campus. Some of them still do. But anyways, he'd walk by their house, and in the front room, the lamp would be on. It would be like 1130 at night after the, you know, he's getting off work. And uh, left the library, did all that. So he's walking home, and the light would be on in the room. And he's like, man, that professor's awake. And he would kind of peek into the window, and he could see through the curtain that the professor was at his table studying. Got, you know, lots of books open, writing stuff. Okay, well, he also, this professor had to get up, and uh, he had to walk to the class, you know, go across campus, and he looked into the old professor's um, window, and the light was on again. He's like, my goodness, my favorite professor is up late at night, up early in the morning. Oh, my good gracious. So this went on for about a semester, and then he ran into the professor on campus and said, hey, prof, can I buy you lunch sometime? Because I've noticed you're all up late studying, late at night. You're up early studying before the day is even started. Can I buy you lunch? And he goes, absolutely. You come to my house for dinner. So the the uh, the guy, the, he's a young professor, student kind of guy, he comes to the old professor's house, and he says, um, so tell me, what are, you, what are you actually doing? And the old professor says to him, he says, son, listen, I would rather drink from a steady stream of knowledge than rest on a stagnant pool of facts. I'm never done learning. And I take that story to heart, right? I take it to heart because it just reinforces this leaders are learners. The second thing is that leaders are models. Leaders are models. Whether you like it or not, I know some will debate me on this because they think they're, they don't think that they're that important, but they're leaders at Rush Creek. So whether they believe it or not or want to accept it or not, Leaders at Rush Creek live in a glass house. 
They're in a fishbowl. People are watching their life. They want to know, does what you're leading us to do match the way you live your life? People are watching you. So how do you stay effective? You remember, people are watching. So I have got to constantly chase after Jesus every single day. Doing the things that I have been trained to do in our leader apprentice trainings through Fortify, the the email that goes out, through the Sunday sermons, through this podcast, the different resources that the church has provided me. I need to take those to heart. I need to learn. Then I need to put them into practice because my people are watching me. And if you do that, I'm convinced that you are going to stay in that lane of effectiveness. Great and wise words. Pastor Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been great talking with you. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you're able to glean some nuggets from it. But uh, if you have some questions, can I tell them about the... Yeah, yeah. Hold me up. So if you have questions, um, either from Rush Creek or not Rush Creek, uh, wherever you're leading, uh, you can contact me at Josh R. R is in Rose. Josh R at rushcreek.org. And uh, I'll be happy to field your questions. Awesome. Again, thanks so much. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening to Group Chat, a ministry of Rush Creek Church. For more information about us, please visit www.rushcreek.org.